What's going on, Skytown? Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook Podcast. My name is James Kay, and before we dive into the rest of the show, just want to give you a quick note at the top of the show. Chris and I recorded this episode before the start of this year's NCA tournament, which, my God, it's been incredible so far. But I didn't get a chance to edit this episode until today, just because, unfortunately, some of the health issues that I've been dealing with since the 2022 WNBA season have just kind of started to get worse again, unfortunately, and uh, been a little bit inactive because of that. So apologies for the last two weeks where we haven't released an episode. Chris and I really do appreciate all of you just tuning in every week. It's been fun interacting with you. So just wanted to give you that note at the top of the podcast, and we appreciate you. So with all of that said, here's Chris and I's conversation from last week. All right. So we had a really a, a lot of good feedback on our Chicago Sky uh, free agency grading shows. Appreciate, as always, all of the Skyhook fans. If you have any reflections and, and feedback that you didn't send us, that you want to send us, as always, you can email us at the Skyhook mailbag at gmail.com or hit us on Twitter at the Skyhook pod. Uh, but I really appreciate everybody who, who reached out, who responded to our questions on what you would, what grade you would give the Sky's free agency offseason moves. So we decided to branch out to the entirety of the league. So starting with the Atlanta Dream, we're going to go down the list of all the other 11 teams and grade their offseason. So James, uh, Atlanta coming off of a very close near playoff campaign last year, and of course the breakout season for Ryan Howard, uh, the preemptive, presumptive MVP of, of last season <laughs> and, and possibly this season. Uh, but a lot of other interesting pieces on the Atlanta dream. So I'll start off with you. With the moves that the dream made, mostly re-signing and a one trade that could be notable, how would you grade their moves for the uh, 2023 offseason? You know, before I give my grade, I'm just going to list some of these transactions just to refresh some of the people as well. Um, I think the biggest move came earlier this offseason when the dream traded for Alicia Gray for this year's third overall pick and a 2025 first round pick. They also traded Tiffany Hayes, who's been with the organization for a while to Connecticut for the number six pick in this year's draft. And I guess the other big one would be trading for Daniel Robinson, which I feel has been kind of lost in the fold for Christy Wallace. And they also claimed Ileana Rupert off waivers from the aces and re-signed Cheyenne Parker to a one-year extension at 200K for 2024. So, and of course, they did bring back uh, Monique Billings and Ia Coffey. So for my grade for the Atlanta Dream for this offseason, I would say it's a solid B because I think they're really setting themselves up for next offseason where they're going to have a ton of cap room and just have another year under their belt where they've proven that they can be a stable franchise that has built a culture that people will want to go, gravitate towards. And I think people thought this was going to be the off season where they were going to be able to bring in someone like NECA Gumake, or I know there are people chirping about Candace Parker as well, when I didn't really think that that was all that serious, quite honestly, just given that I think she wanted to be closer to the West coast, but I don't think it was far-fetched for Dream fans to think, hey, our team, our city is a destination for big free agents to come. And 
everything that they did this offseason to me signals that they're really prepping for 2024 and 2025 to be able to land some of those bigger names. But how did you feel about it, Chris? What was your grade and what did you think of Atlanta's offseason? I thought it was very good. Uh, ex- exercising the option with Ari McDonald, I think, is good. She's shown some flashes, but hasn't really proven uh, herself as that number. Was that number four pick in the draft that she was in the lottery? Uh, bringing bringing in Monique Billings, bringing back Monique Billings is good. That Alicia Gray trade was very solid. She gets a change of scenery that she's wanted and needed out of Dallas, and goes to a franchise that is is on the rise. I think Atlanta has been bubbling for some time. Um, they they made all the right moves in management bringing in a solid coach, a new GM, who I think this was his first proving ground, and he did very well. And everything really stemming from that change in ownership from the pandemic year. And then also bringing in AD and Beatrice Montpremier on training camp contracts, solid moves. The only thing that I I was a little kind of off on was the Danielle Robinson trade, because I know that you have a glut at your guard positions to, to some degree. But Daniel Robinson and Christy Wallace are pretty much the same player at this stage of their this stage of, of D Rob's career. And you're putting up $155,000 for for one year. Now, if it's something that Atlanta or Indiana was just like, hey, give us Christy Wallace and we'll give you Daniel Robinson, and they just felt their hand was forced, then sure. But again, for that new GM. That doesn't necessarily look too kindly on his record because Indiana doesn't have that. They shouldn't have that much leverage, I would think, in that kind of a deal. So I'm going to go B minus only for that. I don't think really think that's unfair. I think that the moves they made, re-signing Cheyenne Parker, she's quickly become the face of that franchise, which, you know, sidebar, so happy. One of my favorite players from her time <laughs> in Chicago, and I'm really glad to see that she's thriving in this role as a top-of-the-line player. Um, Alicia Gray, I think, is going to be able to make that that jump to a top-of-the-line player with this change of scenery and not having uh, not really being shadowed or overshadowed like she was in Dallas. And then Ryan Howard and Ileana Repair, I think, was a good move as well. Uh, she showed some good flashes with Las Vegas. They just ran that, like, six rotation and, and kind of minimal minutes for her and Ty Stokes and Teresa Plaisance. So this will be an opportunity for her, I think, in a bench role, but also maybe getting some time in that six-woman swing, swing, uh, swing woman role as well. So I still think a B minus, but I would be very I would not be surprised to see Atlanta come out with a record, maybe two, three games over 500 this season. So I totally get all of that. And just to kind of piggyback off it, I think I would have liked to see them take a swing, just one swing with the signing, given all the cap room that they're going to have next season, just a one-year flyer on someone where I really thought that Maya Caldwell proved last season that she is someone who could play next to Ryan Howard and still be a productive player. It was only a nine-game sample size. I'm trying not to overreact too much to what she did with the Atlanta Dream in that stretch, but at the same time, she really proved that she can be an effective player in this league. And I don't know what the situation it was there. So again, there's always going to be something that we don't know about when it comes to these negotiations. But for the Indiana Fever to get Maya Codwell, 
for one year, 68K unprotected. We talked about it with Jackie Powell the other week as well, but I would have tried a little bit harder to keep Maya Codwell with the dream, just given how great she played off of Ryan Howard. And again, we don't know what the situation was. Maybe Maya wanted to play somewhere else. Maybe the dream just had different ideas about what they wanted to build a franchise around. But I just thought that that was a player that felt like they should have kept in the fold if they were going to make that next leap as a franchise. And I'll, I'll feel like a lot of these signings were just playing it safe, which I don't think is a bad strategy by any means. But I just wish they had, there was some other high upside signings that they could have done, even if it was short term and maybe even a little bit riskier, just given where their cab situation's at over the next couple of years. Like they really have a shot at getting some of these stars and pay them what they're actually worth because of how much money they're going to have. And that's the luxury of having someone like Ryan Howard, a prospect who you got it right with the pick. It's we know who Ryan Howard is now. And even though Ryan has to progress still, she's going to be really fucking good in this league over the next, hopefully 10 plus years. So uh, that's the only thing that I was just thinking of when it comes to Atlanta. And again, just going back to our last pod in terms of the scale for all this, I can't give a team an A if it doesn't propel them into the contention conversation. I just, I don't think Atlanta is ready to contend, but I think what they did put them in position to be able to really get after it when some of these players like Candace Parker might not be around for much longer and the, the league then opens up a little bit more with, again, the landscapes, I just feel like it's going to change pretty dramatically in the next couple of years. I completely agree. Uh, one thing I want to correct myself, uh, I mistook Dan Padover, the Atlanta Dream GM, two-time executive of the year for Darius <laughs> Taylor, uh, who is the GM now of the Connecticut Sun. So my mistake when I was saying, uh, talking about really making your, kind of making his initial mark, I was thinking of Darius Taylor. Uh, but I, I agree with that. I think when you're a team like Atlanta, who is still trying to, you have, you're, you're starting to really shape your identity with the players that you got, who at the value that you signed them for, are obviously going to be your marquee players. But having a, a player that comes fairly cheaply, who fits well into your, your scheme and rotation, it is, it is kind of a, well, let's see what happens with this one. Because those small moves, I think we don't talk about enough about chemistry with basketball when we're talking about off-season signings and free agency, partially because it's in, intangible. It's not really quantifiable unless players have specifically said, or we've seen them play together, that, yeah, we work well together. Um, in some capacity. And even we saw with the sky, it took time for players who had played together because they played in a different system, different climate, different setting. So it'll be interesting. As I'm glad that you brought that up. It'll be interesting to see how things change uh, without Maya Caldwell this year for the Dream when they were just one game out of a playoff spot. Uh, but I think one thing that I want to ask you is, what do you think of them putting, uh, bringing in Vicky Johnson as an assistant coach? Do you think that'll be a beneficial move, a kind of not really going to make a difference, or will it be a move that possibly takes them a step back? I don't think it would be a step back. I'm on the record saying here that I don't think Vicki Johnson should have been fired necessarily. I know that there were reports of her potentially losing the locker room and everything, and 
I don't think that has necessarily a lot to do with Vicki Johnson, if I'm being quite honest. And I think she's an excellent coach. She's such a good communicator. She's smart. I really think that Vicki Johnson is a good addition to that coaching staff. And I know that she has a lot of naysayers out there. I Again, I just don't really give a fuck about what Twitter has to say when it comes to these <laughs> certain situations where one person says something and then it just turns into the snowball effect of, no, this is the consensus opinion that actually wasn't based off of any factual um, evidence <laughs> brought to the table. I just think that Vicki Johnson, you can't really go wrong bringing in someone like that who has experience in this league as both a player and a coach. I like bringing in Vicki Johnson. Again, maybe I'm too high on her, but by all accounts from people who are actually in the building, from the people that I've spoken to at least, that Vicki Johnson's a good person and she improved the dream, man. Or not, she didn't improve the dream. She improved the wings, man. Vicki Johnson improved the wings after they were kind of in purgatory a little bit. So I don't mind the move at all. But do you, how do you feel about it? I mean, is there anything that would make you feel like, you know what, maybe it doesn't make sense to bring in someone like Vicki Johnson into the fold? No, I, I think it was decent. I, I'm pretty much with you. I just saw that and it piqued my interest because I, I know Dallas is always under the, not, not necessarily under the microscope, but they just become fodder so much, whether it's fodder for jokes or, or cannon fodder. And I think that news item in particular added to it because I thought Vicky Johnson did well the last time and there was that 2021 season when they, when they played the sky in that one and done game. And I thought they were really building something. And now Dallas is kind of back to a couple of squares back, but I thought that she did well with that team. I thought she had a clear identity and, and path forward in mind for them. So I was surprised when she was let go. And so I think it is, it is a quality hire bringing her in as the assistant coach uh, for this young team in Atlanta where she can put her direction in, into use, but not be the face out front. So I, I just saw that, I, like I said, it piqued my interest and I wanted to, to get your thoughts on it. Next on the list, the Connecticut Sun, who had about as turbulent an offseason as you could possibly have, uh, headlined, of course, by John Quell Jones in that blockbuster deal going to New York. James, this is going to take some time, so I'm going to make sure to read everything in detail, as much detail as I possibly can. But uh, John Quell Jones, part of that four-team trade that brought Rebecca Allen to Connecticut, as well as Tayasha Harris, who, as we, you know, speaking of, left Dallas in that trade. Uh, Jasmine Thomas headed to Los Angeles as part of a, the same four-team, I thought it was another, the same four-team trade. Jasmine Thomas left and went to Los Angeles, and Connecticut also received Olivia Nelson Odota and Kiana Smith. And so that pretty much kicked off the free agency, like, blizzard, I, I think was a good way to put it. Um, they also re-signed Natisha. They signed Natisha Heideman to a two-year deal, uh, brought in Makia Herbert Harrigan, Kiki, as she is known, Joyner Holmes, signed a contract with Connecticut, as well as Lauren Cox. And then Christine Anigway signed a deal uh, early in February and then was waived. And then I think really the marquee signings, uh, signing Brianna Jones for a one-year deal on the, uh, was she Cord? Was she was right? Cord and they signed her to a one-year deal and she took less pretty much so that they could bring in other people. And then they also brought in Tiffany Hayes on a one-year deal. So 
Well, no, they traded for Tiffany Hayes. They traded oh, Tiffany was that Hayes. Oh, the sign and trade? It was, um, I think they traded Tiffany Hayes for the number six pick, and then they then signed Tiffany Hayes for the, uh, the most money they had left on the cap sheet. Oh, a lot yeah, of just, shit went flying too, man. I just saw this. Yeah, I was looking at spot track and was like, oh, well, they signed her. Then how could, but yeah, she got traded for the sixth pick. And oh, they also sent along with in with Jasmine Thomas. They also sent the number ten, the number ten pick in this year's draft for salary relief off of Jasmine Thomas's deal. So again, you I mean you know how I'm not as high on this draft. So that to me didn't stand out as much, but. Yeah, you know what? I gave my grade at the top of this for the Atlanta Dream. How do you feel about Connecticut's offseason after they went to the WNBA Finals and then lost their arguably their best player, which, I mean, I would say that that's the case. I know there's going to be people who say that Alyssa Thomas is, but um, how did you feel about it, Chris? I feel like I'm about to go into a rant. How do you feel about it? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I want to talk to the people first who think Alyssa Thomas is the Sun's best player because your best player has to be able to play in the last five minutes of a game. And if you can reliably foul Alyssa Thomas in a close game, then she's not your best player. Uh, that aside, I give them a D. And it's really, it's going to be a bit convoluted. As good as Connecticut was over the past four seasons, and I think that some people look disconsolate at them bringing in Duana Bonner back in, in 2020 uh, just because of, you know, they weren't sure exactly how she would fit with the team and she wasn't, she's never been a, a very good three-point shooter. I think that she's fit in fairly well with the, with the team no matter what iteration it was over her time here. I think she's done fairly well and given you the standard Duana Bonner experience. And that elevated them to some good playoff runs. That being said, I think there was a there's a scenario where they could have prepared much better for this and done something more to actually win a finals. Because I think there's just, even if you're a quality top-tier team, you're in a 12-team league, which means the you can accumulate a lot of talent on your squad without fear of other destinations for them to go. You had a good front office. You had a top-tier coach, two-time coach of the year, I believe, was Kurt Miller. It's like you still couldn't get over the hump. At a certain point, I know it was a trade. You know, it wasn't like they let John Quill Jones go in free agency. But what they got back in the trade just still seems so underwhelming to me as to be nearly like letting her walk in free agency. I don't give them an F or a D minus just because, as you said, that number 10 pick is not really worth that much. And they did sign Tiffany Hayes, which is, which is a decent pickup. But I, I think it's, kind of, it's almost like a hindsight is, is, 20, is 2018 for the Connecticut Sun. Because if you were just going to underperform like this, then you might as well have blown it up in 2020. <laughs> like... That's not really fair. It, I don't think it's really fair, but it's just so bad. And now you're you're really starting from a place of of what do we do here? How do you move forward with Brianna Jones? How do you how do you put this team together in a way like almost like the sky? 
where you have to be competitive and keep butts in the seats. Now, Connecticut, the state and their fans are going to watch this team play. I think you have that option because it's still a far cry for them to go to Boston or north of the border to watch competitive basketball over the summer. But you really dug yourself a hole these last two seasons, both by giving away a chance to play in the finals in 2021 and then losing even to as talented and as cohesive as a Vegas squad as they lost to last year. I think that I think they just kind of they set themselves up for maybe it was 2020 when you just saw the writing on the wall and, and you know maybe now we're just kind of like knocking the 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 dust off of the cave wall with the chisel to really well, see what we should have seen now but I I just got to give them a bad grade. I I agree with the bad grade. I gave them a D plus just because of what they did outside of the roster in terms of adding Darius Taylor to the organization also i think stephanie white can really i think we've seen her be successful in the WNBA before as a coach yeah um that 2021 team was the best shot they had at winning a title in my opinion and it's so weird saying that given that they actually went to the WNBA finals last season compared to that 2021 season where the sky upset them quote-unquote upset them i mean i would say it's an upset i mean that's how we were talking about it at the time. That's how we viewed it after seeing that 2021 team really grind through the regular season. But losing John Quell Jones, there's no trade that you can execute unless it's for another top seven player in the league that makes it even a little bit worth it for you. And I know that JJ requested a trade out and the Sun respected getting to her place where she actually wanted to go, which... I think is awesome that they did that for JJ. Always glad to see when two sides can make something work, but what they got back just can't excite you as a Connecticut Sun fan. And the roster had so many weird, like it was such a weird fit for what it looked like last year with John Quill Jones, Brianna Jones, Alyssa Thomas, and Dewana Bonner all really needing more space to maximize what they're ceiling is as players and what they did is they got rid of John Quill Jones for a player like Rebecca Allen who I just I want to see her succeed so badly after what she did in 2021 I thought she was just excellent for the Liberty that year and she's just dealing with her health woes and again hope she feels better I don't think she's even playing overseas right now but he gets someone like Rebecca Allen who you just we don't know if we can rely on her to be there for 40 games in season. Ty Harris, who I think has some like upside, but has just been buried on Dallas for a long time because they <laughs> trap players like I eat frozen pizza. And uh, <laughs> and I just, the thing that makes it even worse out of all this, like this whole situation is much worse given that Brianna Jones didn't sign more than for one year. Like, if you're going to go away from JJ and say, you know what, we want to build with Brianna Jones, God, it feels like it's so necessary to then get her under the fold for for more than just one year. At least three years, right? I mean, that's what you would hope in a situation like this. And I just think the Sun could just be a really bad team in two years with not a lot to be excited for other than maybe, okay, it, I mean, 
think about this. Like maybe they put themselves in position in 2025 to maybe get a high draft pick, but it's like, okay, that would mean that you would have to suck over the next couple of years. And they, and actually, no, now I'm just thinking it through now. I don't think they even have their 2025 first rounder. I think, don't they only have their 2024 first round pick? Like, it, it's not a, a situation where you're building for the future. Like, you really have to now maximize another short window, which we already, we've been saying this about the Sun the last couple of years, whether it was fair or not. Now I think it's especially fair now that you lose your best player in John Quell Jones. And my goodness, Chris, I look at this Connecticut Sun roster, and I don't see a championship team. I I, <laughs> I, I, I don't see, I'm sorry. No, I mean, it's just, I don't see a team that's ceiling is them raising the championship trophy at the end of the season. And this is the difference between being positioned like Atlanta, where you just have so much cap flexibility down the line. Um, I mean, they gave away their first drop pick in 2025, but like they have a little bit more flexibility with what, again, just preparing for the future, have some young players under the fold. And now with the Sun, it's like they have Alyssa Thomas and Dewana Bonner, both established veterans. Same thing with Bree Jones, even though she's coming into her own as a young player in this league. I just think there's a lot to be worried about right now if you're a Connecticut Sun fan and going from having one of the best players in the world to not even giving 75 cents on the dollar for in the trade like that, coming off a championship. And you have a new coach where it's going to be really hard to just all of a sudden, again, be a championship team. Like you can't be, I mean, again, D plus, I think it's just, it's being considerate at this point. Yeah. And I, you know, not to diminish Darius Taylor at all, but this could be, I I don't want to, I don't want to say it could be disastrous, but his experience up to this point has been, you know, assistant coach. He worked under Don Staley at Temple in South Carolina um, he was on the Atlanta Dream bench for a few years and was the interim head coach in 2021. And then he was, you know, given this role as the general manager for a team that really was at a gigantic crossroads. Now, I know that you, after, after what we talked about, specifically, you know, being able to make the finals twice but not winning and then having literally being a, a missed layup from, from the finals hmm. probably – I you there's a there's a sense where you want to just erase the board and try and start fresh. But like you said, if you want to start fresh, you want to go forth with a clear direction in mind, and you can't do that on a couple of high dollar one year deals for arguably your most valuable players. You know, even if you say Alyssa Thomas is the Suns' best player, she's getting to the point just with her injury history and the things that you know she cannot do that you you build around Brianna Jones, I don't see any other way, I don't see any other argument against that where those are the players that you say, okay, we're going to take this, we're going to put these pieces on our board and then arrange around them. You know, you don't do that with the uh, Duana Bonner at this stage of her career. You don't do that with Alyssa Thomas. You do that with at least those two players. And so coring her, coring Bree Jones and signing her for one year is not really acceptable. And I wonder... That's why what makes me wonder about Darius Taylor and his future in this role, not just with Connecticut, throughout the league, because it's a black dude. I want black dudes to succeed. I'm just going to say it. You know, if anybody has any problem with that and listens to the show, don't listen to the show. But I want him to do well. And he's from Chicago. 
Like, this is the perfect storm of me wanting to cheer for you. So you got to make better decisions. Again, I understand Connecticut was a bit over a barrel here. And maybe they make do better over after this season. You know, maybe this is what people thought the sky should do. Maybe this is Connecticut doing that. Like, just kind of throwing it in the, throwing the towel in early, saying we're not going to be that great and trying to get a low, a, a bad record and get themselves positioned in the draft. As, as far as I can tell, I think they might have that 2025 first. I was about I to correct it, myself after yeah, that. Like I, Atlanta traded theirs, but I think Connecticut has theirs. And I think they're in the draft for 2024 as well. Now, granted, it's a two-year rolling period. So when you make the finals, you're not going to have that great of a chance at your, at your uh, ping pong balls in the 2024 draft. But maybe that's the plan. But that is also everybody's plan that plays NBA 2K. So I'm not sure exactly how it's going to work. Just kind of tanking and not tanking. I, 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 don't, I don't see the direction. And I will say this to just not be completely negative. I do think keeping Natisha Heidemann is a strong move. And it's 120 unprotected. So you do give yourself some flexibility where if Natisha doesn't play at the level that she's been at, over the last couple of years. I mean, she's just improved every single season, but you I mean you you do want to see her take another leap this season. Then you give yourself some flexibility to cut potentially cut her or at least renegotiate her contract, but it just wasn't a good offseason for them. And again, for them to be in 2025, I mean, they're gonna really have to suck in <laughs> order for, for them to feel good about that pick. Let's bring this back to the sky real fast before we move on to our next thing here. Um, we both agree. I'm curious. Maybe we don't. But do you feel like the sky could be a better team than the sun this year? Because yeah. I don't feel like. Sorry. No, I mean, I just don't feel like Connecticut. Like if they if everything goes wrong, like Tiffany Hayes doesn't perform up to her standard. Let's just say like because of injuries, like. She's got to stay on the floor. Rebecca Allen's got to stay on the floor. I just think if all goes wrong, especially with this Connecticut team, and I don't think it's crazy to think that given the injury history of some of these players, that the sun could be worse in the sky this year. And I think if you look on paper, that some people would raise an eyebrow to that. I've been thinking about this a lot over the last, you know, 24 hours when we've been talking about doing a podcast, talking about the sun of just like, you know, I'm not, sold on the sun and it wouldn't surprise me if this the sky were a better team than the sun in 2024 or 2023 well i don't know any other team that as we go down the list that i'm going to give anything lower than like maybe a, a d plus two so yeah no, i definitely <laughs> think that the sky i definitely think the sky are going to be better than the sun i understand that there's some factors involved that, that people might think are involved with that you know, we we the, the sky have been adversaries of the sun for the past few years. Those Kurt Miller comments that we we all talked about it at ad infinitum after the season, and you know just the proximity bias for the sky. I understand that. Taking all of that out of the picture, the sky lost Candace Parker, Courtney Vandersloot, Emma Mieseman, Julie Aleman, all very 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 good players. They brought in Courtney Williams, Izzy Harrison. Um, solid players. They they have Talia Copper, and they they have you know some, some pieces on the bench. Alana Smith that they're trying to build. Yeah, not necessarily great, but are they going to win 13 out of 36 games? I I doubt it. I think they will win more than that. This Connecticut squad, I could see winning 
13 games or less. Oh, wow. I, I legitimately could. I legitimately could because we, we've talked about it, right? Los Angeles got much better, right? Washington has pieces coming back, and they're going to be better than they were. New York, Las Vegas, we've already talked about them. I think Seattle might be the only team in a similar position that I can really think of is Connecticut. Um, possibly Dallas just with, with losing Marina Mabry. But Atlanta's going to be better. Indiana has another year of experience under their belt with their young horses. I do not see a team that got kicked in the gut as much as Connecticut did, both in the season and after the season. And that's going to be a lot to come back from. You know, if even with the money, is Bree Jones going to be checked out? Like, is she just going to be, you know, really feel like her walking papers are, are, are incoming? That really, you know, even if you have a contract signed, that kind of thing weighs on a person's, that kind of thing weighs on an athlete's mind. It just does. And I don't, I'm not, just, I'm not saying that she's going to be a, a terrible player well below what we've seen from her staff. She's a quality basketball player. And they, this is a league of, filled with players who play with pride all the time. Nobody mails it in. I'm sure some people would, would argue with that, sorry. But I just, they're going to have to put it together, even with Stephanie White, who I really liked with it, Indiana. I feel like it could be a really rough season for them. I'm sure I, I have, there is a version of this where I, we come back and, and reconvene in September and what I think is might happen to Connecticut happens to this guy. And I said they could finish anywhere from fourth to tenth. But I don't see it how I don't see them having as bad a season as Connecticut. And I'm I'm with you on that. I also don't know if I'm willing to say that a team with Dewana Bonner, Alyssa Thomas, and Bree Jones. And again, I hate to just say that like I question if Tiffany Hayes is going to make it throughout the entire season. I'd be I would be really surprised if she played 38 games this upcoming year. Like truly would be genuinely surprised. But if she is able to play like 30 games, if Rebecca Gardner, if Rebecca Gardner, if Rebecca Allen is able to come back a little bit healthier and give them even like 15, 20 minutes off the bench. And again, one of the player that we're also not talking about right now is Dijanae Carrington, who I thought also made a lot of improvement last season after kind of being buried on the bench a little bit. She's going to have to play a bigger role. If that works out, then maybe I see Connecticut being a little bit more successful than what I project them to be. I just, I don't think they're going to just win. I think 13 games is a little bit low, but at the same time, let's put a pin in it because we never know with this league and there's just a lot of teams that are all over the place. And I'm really interested to see, especially the, the team that we do on the next episode with the Dallas Wings, where we talk about a team that's a little bit messy and see how that all looks on paper or how it looking on paper translates to what it looks like on the court. But can I, can I give a uh, Connecticut fan some bulletin board material and <laughs> do it, Chris, <laughs> those players that you mentioned, I think they'll be very, very good for three or three and a half quarters. And then reality is going to set in. Damn. <laughs> Maybe I'm just feeling sassy today, bro. I just, I don't know. I CJP with like the sass today. When you lose the finals, when you lose in 2021 the way you did, there's and then John Quill Jones leaving, Stephanie White's going to try and get everything she can out of that team. But I think once the halfway mark of the season hits, once you get to that uh, 18th game, it's going to be really hard for the, for the Sun to keep coming back and climbing that mountain every few days. 
Three and a half quarter warriors. <laughs> There's going to be some Connecticut Sun fan that's like, yeah, how did the last seven minutes of the Sky season go? <laughs> yeah. We're going to be our, like, our, you know what? All I, all I see is the championship in 2021. I don't even know what I'm happened not a, last I'm not year. A, I'm not afraid of getting stabbed with knitting needles. I'm not. <laughs> Chris, let's wrap up the show with... I know. I mean, look, we we punched Connecticut too much today. That's, we literally use them as a punching bag. I feel bad. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe we should we should give them a break and tell them how they can maximize their 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 uh, their sports betting winnings. <laughs> Probably should. Uh, you know what? Yeah, Chris, go and transition <laughs> into the sponsor of the show. Why not? <laughs> All right, Connecticut. Uh, if you or anybody you know and love is foolish enough to put your money on the sun this year for the WNBA finals, you know, it, it would it would be a very big bet to pay off. You're not sure necessarily where to go to place that bet. Obviously, you would go to Mohegan Sun Casino, but which book would you use? Which book has the best odds? Well, Betstamp can really help with that. Just check out the Betstamp app on the Google Play Store, the Android Store, or the Apple Store, and you'll get access to the, all of the lines from the major North American sports books and Betstamp will show you right at the top which one has the best value for the money that you're trying to spend. Also, you can follow major bettors and celebrities as well as your own, the Skyhook Pod, in Betstamp. Check out their lines, see where they've had success, and then track your own bets to maximize your return on your investment. So check out Betstamp. Once again, the Apple Store, the Google Play Store, or the Android Store. And when you do, Make sure to use the promo code the Skyhook Pod when you sign up. Thanks to Betstamp for sponsoring this episode and the show. Chris, I've been seeing a lot of people talk about, and this is coming from it, multiple conversations online that I've seen, as much as I hate to just check it out on daily. Just I've seen a lot of people talk about the face of women's basketball lately. I know that there's some people that have written about it. And it has generated a, a really interesting conversation in the WBB space that I thought that we could just take a few minutes to talk about now because we have a lot of talent coming up in the college game that has a chance to usher in a new era of the WNBA, I think is fair to say. We have Aaliyah Boston potentially coming this year. And I say potentially because I st- I haven't listened to the podcast with her and Haley Jones that Haley Jones just started, where people said that the tone of this conversation was that Aaliyah Boston, it feels like she's going to be going to the WNBA this year. But she has an extra year of eligibility that she could use if she wanted to see if she could win another national title with South Carolina. If she doesn't win another one this year. Caitlin Clark... Also just went on, I think, what's his name? It's Dan, not Dan Levitard. There's one famous sportscaster that I can't even think of off the top of my head who asked, he had Caitlin Clark on about getting into WNBA. And, and then there's the players that we've already had. Oh, Dan Patrick. Dan Patrick, yes. Dan Patrick asked her, are you going to be going after your senior year? Um, and she kind of hinted at that maybe she could even – hold off on that and even enter the 2025 draft potentially if she wanted to stay at Iowa for a fifth season, which would not surprise me at all, given how she is revered there and how much money she can make off of NIL. We have all these players coming up the pipeline. Didn't even mention, mention Paige Beckers or AZ Fudd. So many more that I can name right now. And then we have someone like 
Asia Wilson, Sabrina Inescu, Brianna Stewart, Candace Parker, whose name has come up recently. If I don't know if you've seen that online as well about people saying a lot of shit about Candace Parker for some reason. Um, all of this is culminated in people asking the one question of who is the face of women's basketball? I guess the one thing I just want to lead off with this is that I fucking hate that we have to have a singular face of women's basketball. It drives me crazy that, especially when we all watch different leagues, it's also, you kind of call yourself out as an American too, when we talk about the face of women's basketball. I mean, think about how many European players are neglected in that conversation. It drives me crazy, but I also know that there's a blueprint for this, for promoting a sports league. And that is having someone like a Michael Jordan come through, make him the face of the league, advertise it to death, um, beat that dead horse until it stops spitting out money. And again, the formula works. People and players get higher salaries. Um, The NBA or whatever league gets bigger from a global perspective and it all works out. Um, I just wanted to get all that out of the way at the top of this because to me, that's when, if we're not, we don't have the same understanding about like what goes into that conversation. Like it, to me, it's a feeble conversation to have of just being like, this person is the quote unquote face of women's basketball. And we end up just trying to make cases against players who we actually really appreciate, who we think are arguably the face for the league itself. So I guess I'm going to ask you, do you think there is one face of women's basketball right now? Um, I know I just kind of pushed back on that idea, but do you think right now in terms of whether it's right or wrong, do you think there is a face of women's basketball right now? I, I think you make a lot of good points, uh, particularly the fact that when we're here in Chicago, we're talking about a U.S. face of women's basketball. And that doesn't mean it's a U.S. born player or anything like that. It's just that. From our viewpoint, as we're looking at this Rashomon elephant, that this is who we think of as the face of women's basketball. You know, somebody else in um, Prague might say Elena Yagapova is the face of women's basketball yeah. or Istanbul. People in China, people in Beijing might say Han Shu is the face of women's basketball for them. You know, they might say somebody else who is more of an idol to them or somebody more recognizable, but there's a lot of people who when they think of women's basketball, that's the first name that pops up. I think that's the argument that we're really making. And I think if it's, it's not even us because we're, you know, so-called subject matter experts as the term is now. So if you took somebody off the street or brought an alien to the planet, I think is what you, what you, the argument usually comes up and say, just take a look for like 10 minutes around the world. And, and look up women's basketball or something like that. And then who would you say is the first person that comes to mind after that research? And it would be blank. Um, and you know, the funny thing, Dawn Staley actually comes to mind as a possible face of women's basketball, just with the way that she has been discussed, her stature as being on that dream team at the 96 Olympics and what she's done at college basketball, both Temple and now South Carolina. But I think I was really clear about this when we talked about it before, it's, it's Asia Wilson, if not, you know, Candace Parker having her, her, her um, time in commercials, her in Sue Bird and Steph Curry, her spot on TNT, uh, her spot in, in other spheres. But, you know, Cheney 
or Neka Gumbake is on, or no, I believe it's, it's Shanae that's on inside the NBA on the SPN. And Renee Montgomery gets time there as well. So I, you really can't use those spots. I think it's, it's difficult to say, and I, I think that's a good argument for saying that there is no singular face of women's basketball because of the fact that it's not going to necessarily be the best player playing right now. It's not going to be the greatest or the most recognizable ambassador for the sport because it comes in so many different shapes and sizes. There is The WNBA is not necessarily the league to look to for that face because women's college basketball is so watched and ESPN and CBS Sports are really putting that on the map. So I, I know that some people were asking, the whole reason we brought this up is because people were, were putting up after, after that ridiculous shot that Caitlin Clark hit against Indiana a couple of weekends ago, people were talking about her as the possible face of women's basketball. And I think it's some recency bias and the com- comparisons to Seth Curry and Damian Lillard and other players like that and this sea change that's going on in basketball at large. But she's still in college. <laughs> like... <laughs> I'm always reminded of this quote from Eric Dickerson from the Pony Excess uh, 30 for 30. And this high school kid was like looking him up and down. He's like, you're not that big. I could take you. And he was like, and he said, listen, you MF, you were in high school, boy. I'm in the NFL. (laughs) And there is just no matter what, no matter how good Caitlin Clark is or how good she will be, until she is in the WNBA or another professional league, she's still in college which means that there are players in the WNBA. There will be someone, as, as they ask on every episode of Knuckleheads, Darius Miles and Quentin Richardson, who was the first person in the league to bust your ass. And there will be somebody who just takes Caitlin Clark's ankles at some point when she gets in the league. And so she can't be the face of women's basketball until, she, until that happens and then she learns from it. Uh, and to the answer of your larger point, I think I think it's close. I would I would honestly I would really like to say Dawn Staley, but I don't think there's any one face of women's basketball right now because there's just so many different people watching. You know, man. Uh, to me, I don't mean to just be, like make it a serious tone out of it too because it's a fun discussion to have and everything. But it's just someone who's been at a lot of Sky games, like in the media section. And then at some of these WNBA events and the all-star game coming in Chicago last season, I think a lot of this has to do with race, quite honestly. And that's the perspective that I come from with this going into this discussion of when I think about the last few years, at least in my own experience, someone who's just really fell in love with women's basketball over the last like six, seven years. I think about the players that get hyped up and we talk about the face Remember Sabrina Inescu being like, oh, wow, the 26 triple doubles she got with Oregon. Uh, and just again, being hyped up, her and Kobe, the, her and Kobe the, that connection hyped her up. Again, this is not like slander against Sabrina Inescu, but then it quickly transformed to Paige Beckers, who, great player. We saw in the NCAA tournament how great of a player she can be when healthy. And I hope she is healthy again. And now we've hit this point with Caitlin Clark, who I just fucking love to watch, Chris. I do. I really love what she brings to the game. To me, it's not the shooting. Honestly, I I, I am so over like 
30 foot three point attempts on both the NBA, WNBA, and college <laughs> basketball side. I just, I can't think of a more inefficient shot that drives me fucking nuts. Like, you shouldn't be able to fucking make that. Okay. To me, <laughs> like, um, Caitlin Clark's passing is what jumps out to me whenever I watch her play. It's those, like, how she maximizes Monica Sonato's skill set is, yeah. to me, is just fucking incredible. But we're talking about, who the media chooses to highlight. And I know Aaliyah Boston stories are out there. You know, Asia Wilson stories are out there. But they're not enough of them. And going back to the whole thing that I was just talking about with the All-Star game, I remember just looking around the media room being like, there are just too many white faces covering this league right now. I always, I mean... Literally ever since I started covering the WNBA, I've always questioned my own place in it. But again, there was also nobody in the room at certain points. You know, I've literally been in a post-game presser where I'm the literally the only person in the room. But as we've seen the WNBA become more popular and outlets start to invest more and in how much privilege you need to have as a journalist to even be able to make it through all the financial hurdles that exist now more than god i mean there were writers back in the 90s that were making over 100k where now it's like this i see it's really we're really talking about 30k salaries at this point um i think about all these people that are telling certain stories um and are neglecting others because it's not on their radar so when we talk about like the face of women's basketball we see big outlets Claim that Caitlin Clark is the face of women's basketball. I just, the framing of that is something that I really hope when we have a discussion about it on social media, which is where a lot of this takes place in women's basketball, quite honestly, it's Twitter and Instagram. It's like, let's just be careful about how we frame this shit. Cause like, why do we think Caitlin Clark is the face when Aaliyah Boston, and again, this is not up against Caitlin Clark, but Aaliyah Boston just, guided her team to a 32 and no season and her head coach is also a black woman okay look there's a good there is good coverage of women's basketball in south carolina please follow emily adams if you don't already it's just that when we have these discussions it's always centered around white players and i feel like when it comes to even companies seeking out sponsorships for players if you look at that top 10 list of who in in college basketball especially of who's getting like the top money per like social media posts all white players man and i just don't get like how someone like Aaliyah boston or anisa moro or someone who's unapologetically awesome like angel reese are not getting these sponsorships and i think it does come down to the media's really focusing in whether they realize it or not. And I guess that's the thing that's really been bugging me when we talk about this, like when we have this conversation, so we can't even, like, I don't think, I think people just have, it's just too casual at the women's basketball level. Um, I know that was a long ass rant. I literally just looked at the clock and that was probably like four minutes. So I apologize, but I just don't think that this is a conversation that could just lightly be had anymore. No, I don't think so either. And I, I think you are exactly right. I mean, this isn't the first time this has happened in women's basketball, right? There was a question about 
you know, Rebecca Lobo being put on that pedestal, uh, possibly over players like Cheryl Swoops and Lisa Leslie back in 96, 95, uh, 97, when the league was, was, was starting, when the league was, was born, people were looking to the face of who was the face of the WNBA. And, you know, it was that question of, is it, is it Rebecca Lobo, the tall kid from Connecticut, or is it Cheryl Swoops, you know, who's, was on that, was on that dream team. And then, and I think that question got answered, but that doesn't mean the question's going to keep being asked. And I think until we come to a reckoning or the aliens finally come and we actually stick together, then the question's going to keep being asked. But the fact that we're talking about it here and I, I really like to think, and maybe I'm wrong, but the fact that we're talking about it here and I think that we're so solidly in agreement that there is very obvious, uh, some insidious under the radar things at work in people's thoughts or consciously or unconsciously that they have to address means a lot. I think that means a lot. And I think that as long as people are able to listen and, and think about it objectively, then people are going to be able to answer that question. Yeah. Like I said, I believe that you made an incredibly salient point. And as long as we keep talking about it and keep spreading the word, then more people will, but not to sound defeatist, sometimes I really do think it's going to take the aliens coming. Yeah, for I us mean, to, for us to really link up on things like that. I think 2020 proved that when uh, something as extreme as the aliens coming, that there is no chance that we're going to unite, and that the forces that'll be will choose to tear us apart rather than keep us together. You know, that's what COVID showed us. So sorry to be a Debbie Downer on a Tuesday afternoon, but. Um, yeah, it's hard. And again, I also just want to say, like, man, it's important to enjoy all aspects of basketball. Like, it really is. And I hope that, like, I'm not, I hope it didn't sound like I'm, like, being critical of Caitlin Clark. Because, again, those entry passes will excite you during the NCAA tournament this year. And I hope that, I just, again, as someone that really wishes we lived in a meritocracy, and I know we don't, um, I just want to see some more players get love, especially when historically we've seen certain types of people get neglected. And um, yeah, I'm glad that we talked about it a little bit. I know, I, I think we came in with this with two different tones too, but like the, I wanted to have a fun discussion about it, but the more that I would like write down, you know, in my WNBA journals, like, yeah, can't really have a conversation about this without, talking about what the discourse means and its impact on how people are marketed, talked about, and and just the stories that are lost, like when we neglect that aspect of the discourse. But um, Chris, I got to ask, are you just a little scared, though, of Connecticut Sun fans showing up at your door at... No, I'm not going to illustrate your address, but... Um, <laughs> Wait. No, 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 I am not because a hybrid car does not get good enough mileage to get all the way there from here. And like I said, I'm not scared of any knitting needles. I'm not scared of any crochet hooks. I'm not scared of anything like that. I'm not scared of any cross stitching. I'm not scared of that stuff, bro. Like Connecticut fans, you know what? I'm going to look directly at you for this because it's important. One day soon. I need you to follow the show on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Because I'm going to give, as always, we give our address. 
but I will give it to you twice this time. It's Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten. If you're asking why it's Kitten, it's not any kind of kink thing. It's from my college's improv troupe. If you want to follow Bradley University Barbecue Kitten, you should do that. They're great. But that's where I am on Twitter. And sometime soon on Twitter, I'm going to drop the Addy for you. I'm going to drop a pin <laughs> right where I am, and I'm going to do it throughout the day. So if you want to come to Chicago and confront me, get it on video, get it on your Magnavox cassettes, you can do that because I'm here. I'm here. I won't even have my roller derby team back up. Follow the Windy City Rollers, by the way. But I'm going to be here. So if you have any words for me about the three and a half quarter warriors, have them. Have them oh with God. me in person. Have them with me virtually. Have them with me telepathically. However you want to come at me. Come at me. But I'm here. I am always here. Now, you me. If you, <laughs> now, on a lighter note for Connecticut fans, you have a fighting chance this year at getting another NCAA tournament championship. And whether you want to bet $1 or $100 on them, BetStamp is most definitely the place where you should go first. Again, there's always so many sports books and so many odds, so many lines to choose from, and sometimes it can get overwhelming. And sometimes it's hard to find the best bang for your buck. But with BetStamp, they take and aggregate all of the odds and all of the possibilities from the major North American sports books and filter it down so you can get the absolute best line. So if you want to put a straight bet on Connecticut to win the finals, or whether you want to put a four-leg parlay on each of the regional finalists, you can do that. With your final four contenders, you can do that using BetStamp. So check out BetStamp. Download the app on the Apple Play Store or the Apple Store, the Google Play Store, or the Android Store. And when you sign up, make sure to use the promo code SKYHOOKPOD when you do. BetStamp. Again, the sponsor of this episode, the sponsor of the show, and possibly even the sponsor of that butt whooping that you'll get, Connecticut fans, if you come see me in Chicago. <laughs> BetStamp does Bet not sponsor fights. They don't sponsor. Oh, my God. You know, I hope our only influence ever, Chris, comes after this podcast flames out that there's one <laughs> Connecticut Sun fan that's listening to this, one of four listeners, <laughs> where they start a podcast <laughs> called the Three and a Half Quarter or what is that? Three, three right? and a Half, quarter, three and a half quarter, quarter Warriors? That would be good. That would be and good. And <laughs> I would be happy leaving that being the only thing, the only legacy of the Sky podcast. So. <laughs> you're in your bag my friend i fucking loved it that's uh i was in a really bad mood heading into this so this was fucking wow perfect chef's kiss um chris so glad that we got a chance to do this and so glad that you all tuned into this episode as well if you want to contact us you can always do so by emailing the skyhook mailbag which is believe it or not the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. One more time, that is the skyhook mailbag at gmail.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we're actually active on Instagram again. So you can find us at the skyhook pod on Instagram and Twitter as well. And if you want to make a financial contribution to the show, always helps us. You can do so by Venmoing us at the skyhook podcast. You can find Chris, what was it again? Quandary Quit. I'm going to pretend like I don't actually know, but I'm going to have you spell that one out. <laughs> definitely not Quandary Quit. Not, not definitely Quentin. not Quentin. Not, not Quentin. 
That's uh, that'll be my. I will fuck with everyone. I'll change my handle to uh. Quandary oh my Quentin. god. No, don't don't have them coming after you. Don't have the <laughs> don't have that macrame coming after you, man. Um, no, it's Quandary Kitten. That's K W A N D A R Y Kitten. Once again, K W A N D A R Y Kitten on Twitter. Um, if you're still using Windows ninety eight, Twitter.com. <laughs> and I'm at James underscore M underscore K A Y. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the show and until next time.